Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. We're so excited. We have been taking little breaks on and off, if you haven't noticed, but we kind of found our new rhythm and groove, and we are back with another really exciting episode. Yeah, so this topic has been on our list probably since we started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I feel like both Rachel and I have gained more experience in this area, which is why we feel comfortable talking about it. Um, childhood apraxia of speech, I feel like is such a niche area mm-hmm. as are a lot of areas of speech pathology, but this especially I think is, is hard. It's hard to treat. It's hard to diagnose. And I feel like unless you see a lot of kids with it throughout your days, it's really hard to feel competent in this Mm -hmm. area. So we're going to give you what we know. Um, Full disclosure, we are not experts though. This is just like our experiences and what treatment protocols we've found that have really worked. Um, Some of what our opinions are in the area of diagnosis, things like that. But it's I, we really hope at some point, maybe they'll hear us out there to have mm-hmm. one of the gurus on. Yes. So push for that. Cause we definitely will. Yeah. Um, but for those of you though, that don't know childhood apraxia of speech or CAS, we'll probably be referring to it as both of those terms, um, is a disorder of planning and programming movement. So I feel like that's the biggest difference we really have to know is that mm-hmm. it's different than Arctic. It's different than phonology mm-hmm. in the sense of it's all about the planning and programming of motor movements. So you're mm-hmm. looking not so much at the specific sounds, but the way that sounds interact with one another um, and how they transition from one sound to the next. And it's it's never a clear pattern. There's a lot of inconsistencies. Um, I heard someone say once, I can't, I don't know who, but it's not me. Someone said mm-hmm. once about CAS, the only thing consistent about CAS are the inconsistencies. And yeah. that's like, so true. That's truly just what it is. Um, so these kids, they, they know what they want to say, but they lack the ability to execute those movements. So Mm -hmm. it's hard, I think from a diagnosis standpoint, which we'll get into in a second, it's hard to diagnose from that standpoint, because a lot of times the apraxia is diminishing their expressive language and maybe even hindering some of their receptive language because it's, it's just not, they're not able to tell you what they want or what they need. And we're not sure if it's language-based or if it's speech sound-based or movement-based. So, yeah. And I think one thing that people really struggle with, like in their CF year, or even, you know, like their first couple of years after that, or even if you've switched fields and you've never encountered it is I think a lot of times if you're unfamiliar, it goes misdiagnosed as like an Arctic and a phonology, Mm -hmm. but really the hallmark thing is, and because it's a motor movement and planning, you know, issue is that with a straight up Arctic deficit, those substitutions typically sound the exact same every single Mm -hmm. time. So you can't say your R's, those are typically W's or you know, what the substitution, if you can't say your F, sometimes it's TH or all of that. So, um, or, Ooh, I said that backwards TH sometimes, but (laughs) it went over my head too. (laughs) Um, and then with phonology, those are patterns, right? So Mm -hmm. those patterns should be eliminated at a specific age. Like we all know, but, um, 
I just feel like if you don't have the awareness of what CAS is, a lot of times it's misdiagnosed as like a severe articulation deficit or something when really there's so much more going on. And the treatment for those two things are wildly different. Right. So I feel like this first section we're going to talk about for diagnosis is super, super important. Yeah. So the standardized test for um, apraxia, I feel like has always been the Kaufman because that's what I learned in grad mm-hmm. school. That's what I even used. I was using the Kaufman up until I came to Virginia and in my current job. So that was only two years ago. Uh, but the DEMS, the D-E-M-S-S, Dynamic Evaluation of Motor Speech Skills, is definitely my preferred and our clinic's preferred um, diagnosis uh, standardized assessment for CAS. I have never used that. So it actually just came out in, it was officially published in 19. So it's new. Okay. I've even been 20. So it's pretty new. Um, It was developed through, oh gosh, I forget now. I, I know Edith Strand was a huge part of it and she's like a huge researcher in the area of CAS. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has a lot of really good free resources on the Dems online. Like she has videos on how to execute it. Mm-hmm. Like you can learn it really easily. She wants people to learn and use it. Um, but what I like about it is that it, it allows you to cue. So you don't just take the productions. Mm-hmm. You are then able to cue them and see, is it consistent across their production? Like Mm -hmm. if we say it more than once, is there inconsistencies, which is huge. Um, And then also, are they stimulable for those sounds? If they watch your mouth move, or if they say it with you or all these cues that kids with apraxia benefit from, Mm -hmm. are they stimulable for it? Um, It also looks at areas that the Kaufman doesn't go into as much things like prosody um, and like the intonation patterns, things that um, are just a little bit more missed. I feel like in the Kaufman, I also always felt like the Kaufman, no matter who I gave it to always scored that they had apraxia, no matter what, like, I feel like it was just really hard to, uh, tell because Mm -hmm. the score was not, it's kind of like the SSI, right? Like no matter what score you have, if you have incorrect, if you have errors on the Kaufman, you're going to score as apraxia is what I always felt like whenever I was administering it. Yeah. And right. you know what? I feel like, so the Kaufman center is actually located in Michigan. It's like oh, cool. 30 minutes away from me. Yeah. So I feel like because of that, mm-hmm. that's all anyone around yeah. me uses. That's all anyone ever says when someone brings up CAS is like referring out to them or whatever Look into it this one. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's newer. It's nice. I, I just like it. I like mm-hmm. the protocol for it. I love the Kaufman. The Kaufman has, um, they have the Kaufman cards. I use those all the time. Yeah. Those are great. A, there's great resources. I just think it's a little outdated. Um, just a little outdated. That's just mm-hmm. my opinion. Yeah. Um, and then there's also Biorum, Jenny Biorum has a informal CAS assessment that is, just genius. And I wish I could use it more. The problem is it's not standardized. So, um, it's, I often use it with kids who I've already assessed and I didn't diagnose with CAS, but then I'm seeing them and continuing to see these, um, not patterns, but I guess inconsistencies Mm -hmm. consistent with CAS. And then I want to do like a second option. Um, but it's really great. It's similar to the Dems, but it has this whole breakdown at the end, um, where you can see it goes by syllable structure Mm -hmm. and, 
you mark like, okay, this one had bowel distortions and inconsistencies and prosody errors and segmentation. And it has oh, wow. all the characteristics of CAS that you in each syllable level. Um, and it breaks it down so clearly and so nicely. I absolutely love it. Um, I feel like it's one of the best resources that you can give, especially again, if you are trying to differentiate between uh, different speech sound disorders. Is that something she sells like on her website? Yeah. yeah. I think it's like, it's not that expensive. I want to say it's like 40. I mean, it's cheaper than a standardized test. Oh yeah. 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 That is way better. That standardized tests are insane. You guys, and then purchasing all of those protocols, like I know I, I mean, I knew that in grad school because yeah. everyone like professors tell you that, but then you right. go work for a school district and you're like, if I need it, I need it. Right. And then you start a private practice and you're like, yep. what? <laughs> yeah. It's insane. It's yeah. actually ridiculous, yeah. but you have to, and they yeah. know they, they know you can, they can charge you for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then the other thing with diagnosis, so like beyond the standardized tests or whatever else you have to do, um, to diagnose. So again, a lot of times the standardized tests won't be enough. You'll have to continue to see the kid for a while. At least that's been my experience. Um, sometimes it's not, it, CAS is never just cut and dry black and white. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of times it's diagnosed a little bit later for that reason, yeah. but then there's the question on diagnosing CAS in kids that are nonverbal or kids that are not speaking or imitating. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a lot of parents come to me, especially an outpatient where people are telling them CAS, but they can't, the kids can't imitate me. They can't imitate movements either. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll just say personally in our clinic, we do not assess CAS unless they can imitate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that people have different opinions on that. So mm-hmm. Rachel, what do you think? Okay. So this is kind of, I know it's kind of like a taboo thing. Yeah, if you're, yeah. you're right or wrong, regardless of what you pick. So this is kind of where all of my experience is. So I have, um, I've only worked with a handful of students, um, all in my school with CAS, but they are all so severe that they are, um, like very nonverbal, cannot imitate movements at all. It's primarily just vowel sounds, um, mm-hmm. that they have, but the tricky part is they all came to me already with the diagnosis of CAS. So I've never had to clinically make that decision of, you know, like, will I certify them if they're unable to do that? But it's a really fine line because I don't know. How do you assess it? That's always my question is, and then if you can't assess it, how do you feel comfortable saying this is the diagnosis? And I guess Mm -hmm. maybe if you are out there listening to this and you have an answer for us, please let me know. Cause I really, I really (laughs) don't know the answer for that. Um, I think it's just based on experience with Mm -hmm. those types of children and with seeing CAS and nonverbal kids. I I don't know. I think it's the people pleaser in me that wants to be able to say like, yeah, I can look because parent, I feel like parents come to you because they want an answer regardless of what that answer is. Right. So part of me, the people pleaser part of me is like, I would love to be able to tell you, this is what it is. It's CAS because you know, in my like clinical judgment mind, that's what I think it is. But then the other 50% of me is like, you know, the grad school and even practicing SLP, right? We're on our sixth year out of grad school. So just practicing SLP, how do I bill for something that I can't, Yeah. like I I can't even bill to test. Right. You know what I mean? Like you just run into a really sticky- it did. Situation. Yeah, it is. And I guess it's, I guess on the flip side of that, 
I mean, not from a billing standpoint, but from a treatment standpoint, if you're treating a child who's nonverbal, your mm-hmm. treatment is not necessarily going to change much. Like you're probably mm-hmm. looking at AAC depending on their age. Yep. Actually, no matter what their age, you should be looking at yeah. AAC. You're not going to completely give up on speech sounds. You'll probably still do some like trying to imitate sounds. So mm-hmm. it's not going to change a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it's more so just about like, what does that diagnosis mean for them? Mm-hmm. Uh, what does it mean for their family? Yeah. I don't know. It's hard. So yeah, let us know if you have any yeah, ideas. Please. <laughs> we, we, we're, we confident, don't. we're confident saying we don't know, yes. honestly. Um, so let's, let's get into some treatment when you do have a child either that comes to you or that you diagnose with childhood apraxia of speech. Um, my go-to has not has always actually more recently has been, um, DTTC, which is dynamic temporal and tactile cueing. And I feel like this, did we learn about this in grad school? I think we did. (laughs) Cause I honestly don't remember. I remember talking about it with somebody like a few years ago is when I started using it. I really didn't start seeing a lot of kids with CAS though until then. Yeah. And you know what, now that you bring that up in grad school, this, uh, CAS as a whole was a very tiny focus. Well, that exactly. That's the thing is it was so small and it's the same in our grad program. Like our grad students get Arctic and phonology and CAS is like brushed over very, very slowly. So like they might see this word, but they don't know what it is. Yeah. And so it's scary when you hear something and you have no idea or have never seen it. And mm-hmm. we didn't have, I don't know if we had any apraxia clients in our clinic, but we yeah. would never get to experience that. Yeah. Um, but DTTC is a motor-based approach. This is also by Edith Strand. She has, again, a bunch of really great resources on this as well. Um, and essentially it supports that planning and programming that is evident in CAS and it helps support the movements for speech. So that's all, that's mm-hmm. all that it's about those speech movements. Yeah. One thing that I like about this is there's no standardized cues to give. Mm-hmm. So to me, it feels very individualized, which is obviously okay. what everyone wants for treatments, but there are programs where they say, if this you happens, do you do this. Mm-hmm. And this is much more personalized, which I do really like. Yeah. So those cues, like most of my kids that I work with, they really benefit from like those visual cues. So you're mm-hmm. going to be showing them your mouth. Mm-hmm. You're showing how those articulators are coming together. Mirrors are great. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially it's a hierarchy. So you start at like the simultaneous production level. So you say it together, mm-hmm. which I will say is really hard over telepractice. So during the Yes. Uh, pandemic, like for, I mean, we still kind of are, but forget it. Mm-hmm. It was so hard for these kids because mm-hmm. you can't possibly say it over the screen. Um, but obviously if you're in person, it's a lot easier. You can make it really fun. You can do, um, like make it almost a song, like, Oh, we're going to like sing mm-hmm. it together almost. Although we don't want to change their prosody too much, yeah. but you can make it really fun. Um, and then it goes on and you, as, as you go up in this hierarchy, your cues decrease. So you end up with spontaneous production, hopefully eventually, but there's all these cues in between, um, where you repeat it, you have a delayed repetition and it's a really, um, again, just providing mass practice too. So you're not just simultaneously saying the word and you're done. You're pushing them to that next level to see if they can get it, repeat it right after you to see if you can push them to lesser cues, even if Mm -hmm. they can't get all the way to spontaneous yet. Um, but that's what this, what I like about this cueing hierarchy too, is that 
you're getting this huge amount of practice with one Mm -hmm. word or one stimulus item so that you're not just moving on as soon as they get it right one time, because they might not get it right the second time. Again, those inconsistencies, you got to back down and say it with more cues again. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot of really cool, like webs that I found online, like visual webs where it takes you like step-by-step on, okay, you start here and then you go here. I know, Mm -hmm. um, either I think Jenny Biorum or Amy Graham created one. That's really cool. If you Mm -hmm. Google it, you'll find it. Um, but it helps when you're, when you're working with it for the first time to know where you are in the hierarchy. Yeah. And gosh, I'm kicking myself. Cause I cannot think of her name, but there's someone that I follow a speech person on TikTok, and she oh. puts, I know TikTok. Um, she puts videos of herself with her clients or students doing this, especially when cool. they're saying them together. And yeah. then you can see her fading it mm-hmm. and you can see how the child is responding. And there are times where you can tell she has to go back into like a heavier, yeah, yeah, yeah go back up. And it is so fascinating to watch because you are literally watching her shape those sounds yeah. like right in front of your eyes. Thea's treatment is wild. It's yes. so cool. And yeah. it's, it's a lot of work, but it's so cool. And it's mm-hmm. so satisfying if you can get the right treatment for them. Mm-hmm. And especially like if you have kids that you've been treating as Arctic or phonology, even, and mm-hmm. you've been doing something really standard, like Van Riper or yeah. even, um, I don't know, some, something else. And then you go to this and you see so much more progress. You're just like, Whoa, that's yeah. crazy. Like, like what's happening. Yeah. And then correct me if I'm wrong, but this is better or more highly recommended for those that are, se- have severe or moderate CAS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's what, um, that's what I've seen too. Also okay. for younger kids. Yes, I have because, seen that. Because it is so hands-on and mm-hmm. it's so it starts with such a huge amount of cueing. Okay. Um, because especially because some of those kids you might be starting with just like CV constant yeah. combinations. And this is a lot easier to do that way. Um yeah. And then the next one is rest. So yeah. I I loved rest. Mm-hmm. I've used it, I've used it with a couple kids, um, that I saw huge improvements for the one we pushed it a little bit too far and she ended up kind of plateauing for a little bit, but, um, so we stopped, but I, when we were using it, it was, it's really cool. And this is newer too. I think it came out in like 16 or 17 and it was developed in Australia. And again, there's a bunch of free resources online. Um, the researchers have this website that comes with like the manual it's free, but like, yeah, I would, it. that's what I was going to say. These yeah. people are it's insane. doing, I know the most, I don't the most. <laughs> yes. Because I was clicking around on their website this yeah. morning. I had it bookmark. Mm-hmm. And I remember to go back to it and they literally have a step-by-step page or link right. that shows what you should be doing. And then mm-hmm. there's a video mm-hmm. and they tell you what you should be doing, what it entails, how to implement it. Like yeah. it's everything that you would need. And they even have these templates that you can download like a a word template that you can go in and edit with your own words with that, whatever, like word combinations you're doing or well, not words. Cause they're yeah, not yeah. words, but sound combinations you're doing that you can go in and edit it so that you can follow it. It's so nice. The only thing that they don't have that I ran into um, that one of my grad students had to figure out and he was great. Cause he like did the coding for it and everything, but 
um, essentially you're using, you have a lot of repetition. So you have a hundred nonsense mm -hmm. words that are comprised of, um, three vowels, three consonants, and like, you basically just mix them up. Mm -hmm. And so to go through those and make those all on your own would take hours. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the only thing they don't have is almost like a system where you can plug in the consonants and vowels and it'll just shuffle and make them for you. Okay. Yeah. One of my grad students figured this out. Like he did some coding system again, it was fantastic, but otherwise it would take a, it's a really, you really have to prepare for it. It's a little bit of a, um, bigger challenge to mm -hmm. make all those, um, more preparation. So just keep that in mind, but wow. Um, but yeah, so anyway, the website, I think this one talks about less severe and older children. So in, yep. in comparison to DTTC, which is for younger and more severe children, this one is less severe and older. So um, I think that's because of how many repetitions you're getting. Again, you're you're supposed to get a hundred. Mm -hmm in one session. And there are times where you have to go back in queue. So it takes a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, I was doing this over telepractice and I can tell you, we only got to like 80 was the most we got to in one yeah. session within 50 minutes, because it was just, it, it takes a long time. And you yeah. do have every 20, you have a two minute break. So you're supposed to 20, two minute break, 20, two minute break. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you fade your cues as you go. So it's, interesting. Cause you're, you go from like 80% queuing to 60% queuing on the stimulus items. It, it's kind of confusing. You really have to like, look at it to understand it. So I, I recommend looking at the manual and the templates because it mm -hmm. makes more sense. Um, but there is a way more explicit and specific, um, queuing and like how many times you do it mm -hmm. in comparison with DTTC, which like Rachel said, is a lot more flexible. Um, so this protocol is a lot more strict in how you take your data. Yeah. And so I just wanted, I know we keep saying this website's so great. I did want to give you guys the um, website for that. It's rest.sydney.edu.au. And like I said, like I just popped on it as Claire was talking and they even have a whole um, section just for families. Like here's a bunch of resources for families. Here's resources for clinicians. And what I love, and I always find so helpful is the videos. Like anyone can read a piece of paper, anyone can get yeah. a handout, anyone can, but to watch someone demonstrating exactly what you do, especially for those like beginning clinicians that are not familiar with CAS or even how to approach it is so, so helpful. Mm -hmm. And I think the big take home from this one, um, is that it really focuses on the principles of motor learning. So you're learning those motor movements of those speech sounds. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's the whole research behind it and why they believe it works, why the researchers say that it works is because you are relying on those principles of motor learning without the expectation of using the language system. So these are all nonsense words. So putica would be mm -hmm. a nonsense word, right? And you're saying that, and then you're saying kaputa, and you're putting it in a different, mm -hmm. different transition of sound. So your, your motor system is only focusing on the motor movement. It's not focusing on the meaning of the word. So, um, it really, it's, it's just different. It's just a different way of treating that those program programs and plans of speech. Um, and then they also recommend though, that, that this is why it takes so long. They recommend that 
okay, you do these hundred reps and you do this system, but then they also recommend you do it in conjunction with practicing real words. So like when I had it with my kids, right, we would have a goal for, we would have a goal for rest. And then we would also have a goal for functional words or core mm-hmm. words. So, so-and-so will produce their core words, um, in similar syllable structures of what we were learning in the nonsense words, but they were real words. So it also recommends that they're seen three times a week, which I a hundred percent know that that's impossible for a lot of people to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I, the most I ever saw was twice a week for 50 minutes. And again, mm-hmm. it, we just had to see them for longer because the treatment plan says you should see them like three to four times a week for six weeks. It's like an intensive program. Yeah. I was just, just going to say that's interesting that this, I feel like this one almost feels more intensive than yes, DTTC when totally. really they're like treating the opposite. Yeah. You know I mean? Right. Yeah. They're so different. It's just, it's just a different method. And I think that's, what's again, cool about CAS is you can try both and see mm-hmm. what the child response responds to most. I've done yeah. both with a lot of my kids with CAS and we, we end up just doing what works best for them. Mm-hmm. Um, rest also isn't meant to be done. I don't think anyway, mm-hmm. it's not meant to be done forever. It's meant to be mm-hmm. done in like blocks of time. Yeah. So once you're done with that six week or eight week or however long you're doing it for, you need to move on to something else for a little while and then come mm-hmm. back to it. So have you found thing. when you shift from those nonsense words to real words, it's like, what, tell me your experiences. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's hard because I feel like the, the people or the kids that I've used this with, mm-hmm. I didn't follow the recommendations and were actually more severe mm-hmm. than the kids that I've used DTTC with. So I didn't see a ton of carryover. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just my experience. Yeah. But I can't say that's everyone's because I've only had a handful that I've tried this with. Mm-hmm. I've only tried it with one again, cause I just yeah. haven't had the caseload to support that. And yeah. I, it was a very interesting shift to yeah. real words. Like you almost have to, I don't know, like you're in well, such a mindset of saying nonsense, right. literally repeatedly over and over again for a long period of time that when you shift to, yeah. you know, actual functional words, it's well, and the time piece of it, like you're so focused on getting all these nonsense oh, yeah. words, and then you only have five minutes at the end of the session to do functional words. And it's like speed round. Yeah. And I feel like I can't do a ton of therapy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would like to try it with older, less severe children. Like it, like it recommends because mm-hmm. again, the ones that I used it with were not, were more severe. So yeah. I think maybe it would be interesting to try it that way. Did you see in the manual? They also recommend, I've never tried it this way, but they recommend once they're able to do it at the word level, you put it in a sentence level. Yes. So, you go straight to that. But so you put the nonsense word in a sentence. So I see a putica, which is just like, so weird to me. Yeah. And it's but like, again, it's, I, I like the, it makes sense to me though, that you're focusing again on the motor plan instead mm-hmm. of the language expectation. So that mm-hmm. piece really makes sense to me. Um, it's just, you really have to have the time you have to yeah. have the resource for it. It's just, it just takes a lot more preparation and time. Yeah. The um, next thing on our yeah. list is I feel like the OG go-to, I don't know. There's like a real, I mean, there's always been a big buzz around, um, BRM cue cards, but I think it's more so lately, especially. Yeah. So I only have the one, um, speech sound cue deck. 
Do you have more oh, the than blue, that? The blue, the blue one. Yeah. yeah. So I have, I have the S like the okay. lisp one. Yep. And then I have the R one also. Okay. And so. I'm really interested in the prosody cues one. Me too. I saw that one on the, their Instagram, the other, or her Instagram the other day. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd be really curious to hear about that too, because I think that's something that's missed in CAS a lot mm-hmm. is working on prosody. And also does anyone feel hundred percent confident in working on prosody? Yeah, I, I wouldn't, Yeah, but with cue cards, I probably would feel a lot more com- comfortable in working yeah. on that. Yeah. Um, but that's a piece that a lot of kids with apraxia have trouble with. So mm-hmm. it's really important not to miss. And they also recommend you work on that early so that it doesn't continue and doesn't get worse. So that mm-hmm. that's targeted early. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those cue cards there, if you don't know what the Bjorn cue cards are, look them up first of all, mm-hmm. but they are just sound cue cards, like these little squares with a visual that the child can relate to. Um, so for example, the P sound is popcorn. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they see the popcorn, they know it's their popcorn sound. So mm-hmm. I, once my child knows what that cue card means. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't even bring it in and I'm like, Oh, use your popcorn sound because they Mm -hmm. have that visual in their head. They know what it is. And it's, it's again, putting that visual on it, as opposed Mm -hmm. to them trying to think of the way, like stressing on the way that their mouth is moving. They have Mm -hmm. that visual in their head. Oh yeah. My popcorn. So they're making that motor memory is what Mm -hmm. they're doing. And don't be intimidated by the price. Cause I was for a while Mm -hmm. and I feel like you just have to commit. It's like you'll use them. And the thing with those is too, is that you can use them with kids, not with apraxia. Like I've used those. If you're working on L or something like Mm -hmm. use that with that use, I don't know what L is, but use your, whatever sound you want to have names for sounds as opposed to just use your L sound. Cause that's kind of boring. Yeah. And they, they're even coming out with more, like actually they're coming out with the equivalent of Weber cards now. Oh. So they have like a box of, and it's all D and then a box of oh, S and a nice. box of, yeah. And those, those ones are cheaper. Those are 1999 as opposed to, um, the first ones we were talking about are 60, wow. but she even has a deck for, uh, prepositions now. And Genius. Yeah, like clusters and all oh, of talk that. Talk about taking over the world. She's taking over. Seriously, <laughs> like she's taking over the speech world. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but I, I also, I want to make a point. I also have liked to use them as a natural transition to cue a sound. So like if you're working on a multisyllabic word, like, so I'm working on the word captain mm-hmm. with one of my kids because um, he likes octonauts and Captain Barnacle is a character mm-hmm. and he has a really hard time with captain, that P in there. He says captain and he mm-hmm. forgets the P. And so in an articulation mind, you think, oh, the P to T blend, but it's not, again, mm-hmm. it's not about the blend. It's about the transition between the P and the T sound. So, mm-hmm. um, I cue him with that P the popcorn card when we're mm-hmm. saying captain. So if I'm like miming it with him, captain, he sees my P, but once mm-hmm. I take that cue away mm-hmm. and he just has to say it, as soon as he's about to say his P, I throw the popcorn, popcorn yeah. on his face and he knows, and hopefully he puts his P yes. in and he does, sometimes he doesn't, but that's how I use it sometimes is like transitioning to a sound in the middle of the word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a really easy paced way to do a quickly paced way to do it instead of mm-hmm. stopping them and being like, Oh, put your P in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. This kid is three. He doesn't know what that means. Like, yeah. It's hard. So yeah. I think for younger kids, it's really nice to have. 
Yeah, very nice. Um, a couple other things I wanted to note that I make sure our sessions have, um, especially when I'm talking to my grad students, is the importance of drill play for kids with CAS. So um, apraxia is all about getting so many repetitions, right? Like we need mm -hmm. a lot of repetitions because we're making that motor memory. So drill play is used basically to increase the pace and productivity of a session. So you're giving them a piece for every rep that they have something that's really, um, those popper boards. So oh, yeah. I've, I've seen those that people use them on Instagram for yeah. like every rep they get to pop. That's, mm -hmm. that's drill play. You're getting one-to-one, -one. like you're, you're getting a lot of stimulus words or stimulus repetitions, mm -hmm. and they're also getting something in return. And that's how you keep a high pace and a high productivity of the session. And you really got to be kept on your toes. Mm -hmm. And honestly, there's a lot of resources out there and different things that you can use. Like if you have any of the chipper chats, you can yes. put all of those mm -hmm. little magnets out and use the wand and pick it up. Um, mm -hmm. If you go on teachers pay teachers, you can type in pretty much any theme and a coloring page yes. of say it's pirates, it'll be gold coins. And there's a hundred of them and you have to color them in for each daughters. or yeah, daughters are really good. Or one that I love and that my children love are splat mats. So it's basically the same thing. So say it's pirates and they're gold coins, you put it in one of those like page protector things uh -huh. and then you'd splat it with a little thing of Play-Doh on each cute. one. I've seen those, but I've yeah. never done it. It sounds really fun. Actually. Yeah, it's cute. I mean, there's a little prep to like make sure you're ready so you can get a lot of reps, especially mm -hmm. with like shorter. But that's smart sessions. to put it in a sleeve though, mm -hmm. because then you can just take out, yes. get out and then you put it in another one that you totally. need for another kid. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then the other piece was thinking about CAS in the terms of principles of motor learning. So thinking about how in order to learn a motor movement, how much we need that mass production, going back to what I just said, the mass production and the consistent practice that leads to the permanent change. Um, I went to, I took a CAS course where she said, um, practice doesn't make perfect practice makes permanent. So you're not looking for perfection. Even you're looking for it to be a permanent motor learning that motor memory, like mm -hmm. you need this. It's almost like think about PTs that teach children how to move. Like it's mm -hmm. very similar. You're, you're teaching them how to move their mouth and how to produce these sounds in a way that others will understand them. Mm -hmm. And we, we need to incorporate a lot of modalities to that. So they need to watch, they need to see us doing it. They need to see themselves doing it. They might benefit from tactile cues. So like feeling where their tongue needs to go and then mm -hmm. practicing it, um, and then doing it over and over and over again. So just, the, yeah, the important part of that too, is like, I have a student where the CAS and just apraxia in general is so severe. It really is impacting like even his gross motor. He mm -hmm. has a very, very specific yeah. diagnosis, but uh, those principles of motor learning can be carried across everything. Like you mm -hmm. just said, um, which is so important. So as we wrap up, I wanted to just shout out two sites that I feel like are always my go-tos that I'm taking stuff away from, and I'm always recommending parents to go to. So the first is apraxia-kids.org. There's tons of information on there and actually it became one of my go-tos because it includes a link or like a page that takes you to tons of links of summer camps for children. Cause I know that's always a question that I get 
um, you know, like a school wraps up and what can I do over the summer and always looking for additional opportunities. So I did love that. They also have an IEP resource guide and a homeschooling guide. So I want to be clear that this, the homeschooling guide is not replacing the role of an SLP. It's not teaching parents how to provide therapy, but it's showing how they can support their children while they're, you know, transitioning to home or school at home, mm-hmm. which I thought was really helpful, especially with this like pandemic yeah. era we're in. <laughs> um, and then the last one is childapraxiatreatment.org. There is, that one's really nice because there's again, sections for both parents and SLPs, but the SLP section includes an opportunity for free CEUs, which is always, always a plus, always a plus. Yeah. Yeah, Those, those summer camps are awesome because Mm -hmm. like research shows that there's so much more growth and intensive Mm -hmm. programs with kids with CAS. And sometimes we just can't do that throughout the year. And it's awesome if kids are in a place where they can be seen three or four times a week, but generally, I mean, I know for us, the most we'll see a kid during the week is two times a week. And then for Mm -hmm. schools, I know it might be even less just depending on how many minutes you have with them. So, um, always make sure families are aware of that because it could be something really great to get them in with for the summer so that it like jump starts their progress and then continue it throughout the year. Yeah. And that summer camp page, um, literally has camps in every single state that even has them lifted in, Um, Canada and even more. So if you got, if that would be helpful for anyone, that's definitely a really good resource to pass along. And a lot of those have fundings. Like I know Apraxiakids.org has a lot of like funding opportunities too. Mm -hmm. So even if the camp doesn't have funding, Apraxiakids.org, I think has a lot of um, opportunities for getting funding and grants and things like that. Mm -hmm. So don't, don't sign off on that just because of the price. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's it. That we was made a lot. It. <laughs> Let us know what you guys have. Cause I'm sure, like we said, we don't know everything. This is just all of our experiences. So please let us know what you guys think. And if you have anything you want to tell us. Sounds good. Bye guys. Thanks. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. You can find me, Rachel on Instagram at super sweet speech or on my website, speech is super And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or on Facebook on kindly speech. And then you can email Rachel and I, if you have any questions or concerns, we are let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thanks.